guessing that most of us are somewhat familiar with cancel culture. It's an extreme version of boycotting that now includes a person or brand being shamed, mocked, and humiliated to the point that their relevancy is eliminated completely, okay? So maybe some of you have been a part of anything you saw on the screen. Maybe not. Maybe you're offended by the whole video. Maybe I'm just saying it's just the way it is, right? So I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with anything there, okay? Uh, But I want to give an understanding of what the cancel culture kind of means and maybe what it could mean for us today uh, as we kind of have this conversation. So canceling for you may have looked something like canceling cable, right? Like we just cancel cable. We don't need it anymore. Uh, Or maybe there's a show that used to be on cable or was on cable. And uh, when everybody's kind of done watching it and their viewership goes down, like, okay, we're canceling the show. It's not going any longer. But the kind of cancellation that we see now in our culture today is something kind of next level to that. It's more than just kind of canceling and getting rid of something we don't need. It's rooted in the idea that a group of like-minded individuals can brand others as no longer adding value or usefulness in the world. And simply put, um, one group can decide that another group is no longer adding value to our world, no longer useful in the world that we live. And so they can decide and determine together collectively that they are going to effectively cancel a person or brand because of their perceived views or their perceived behaviors or their perceived attitudes on a particular topic that maybe one group happens to disagree with in comparison to another group. And so I think that this uh, is something that has been taken next level in our world that we live in today, but it's actually not really a new idea. And so from the beginning, it has been brother against brother, and it has been uh, country against country, nation against nation. We have seen this. In fact, there's never been a nation that didn't uh, steal from one another and murder one another, and we're not at war with one another. This is not a new idea. And so we look at James, and I've been reading in James lately, and there's one phrase in here that kind of jumped off the page to me, but it begins in James chapter 2, and it says this, "My, my dear brothers... My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting and he's dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention to a good, and a good seat to a rich person, but then you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or sit on the floor. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Doesn't this discrimination show that your, your minds and hearts are guided by evil motives? If, if we're able to simply assess the differences in one group versus another and treat them, treat one group in a way that we would not treat another, he's saying, aren't your motives misguided? Where is your heart? Isn't it revealing to us how our motives are guided when we treat one group one way and another like something else? The words that jumped off the page to me as I was reading this several weeks ago was go and stand over there. And I've kind of challenged myself recently just to focus on one verse a week. And I write that one verse every single day, and I just ask God, will you reveal something new to me out of this? And I think about it over and over and over again, 
and I just get new perspective on that one verse. And so I've been doing that in the book of James. And as I was reading this, that phrase, just stand over there. And I thought to myself, who is it in my life that I asked to go stand over there? Your opinion is no longer relevant to me or I associate them with a certain a certain group or a certain tribe, whatever, and I think to myself, I, they probably have nothing to offer me. And, I, and I, I don't do it probably like that blatantly, but it's actually kind of what I do with my attitude toward them. It's what I do with my understanding of maybe what value they have to add to me in my life. And I think as we continue to do that over and over and over again with uh, those in our life who maybe we've had a relationship break with, Maybe those we haven't talked to her for a while. Maybe those people in our lives that have hurt us at one time or another. Maybe a particular uh, group that carry a certain label. I think that we ultimately begin to devalue them in our lives to the point that we put one group over here and we tell the other, go stand over there. Go stand over there. We, we don't need to see you. You're not going to sit in the front. Maybe, maybe go to the back of the room. Maybe just sit here on the floor. Go stand over there. And I thought, what if we began to look at one another differently? What if we began to look at one another differently? What if we were more alike than we think? What if we're connected through desires that are within us, but that didn't come from us? What I mean by that is I think that probably from the youngest person in this room to the oldest, no matter what color, what gender, no matter how much money we have in the bank, no matter how we like to dress, no matter what our past experiences are, no matter what our hopes and dreams are, I think that there are some things that are all true for every single one of us. I think there are some things, because they were in us and within us, but they were not from us, that these are things that we can all unite around this idea. So here's the deal. I think that all of us, probably, all of us in life, we want internal peace. We want to have peace with ourselves and having confidence and knowing exactly who we are. We want to be able to lay our head down at night in peace. We want to know that we, we lived our day and that even though there are things going on around us that are uh, not at peace, and even though there are, are uh, things that are chaotic around us, and even though life situations don't go exactly the way we want, we want to have peace of mind and we want to have internal peace with ourselves. We want to know that our life matters and that the decisions we make can lead us away from hurt and despair and regret. We want to be able to make decisions today that we're still glad we made tomorrow. None of us have future hopes and dreams that would lead us into a future where we look back with regret and hurt and pain and despair. And we want to look to our future and our story and know that it's one that we're actually excited to live. We want to own our own story and look to the future as one that we are excited to live. We all want those things. And I think probably as you're thinking through that, thinking, I see a few of you, yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, I want that. Yep, so does the person across from you. So does the person who serves you your food at Subway. So does your coworker. These are things that are true for all of us because they came from within us, these desires, but they didn't start with us. And the very foundational thing that I believe is within all of us is that we desire meaningful relationships. We desire, me desire meaningful relationships with others that can be trusted and they trust us and they intimately know us and they love us anyway. We all want these deep, meaningful relationships. There is no one in here who does not 
want that. And I think that it's because we all have the same place of origin. I think it's because we all started at the same place of origin. It was God who gave us life. It was God who ultimately gave us our desires as humanity. And so we see that we have the same place of origin. We say to, re, uh, to teenagers all the time, as I talk to them in schools and stuff, we have this little saying, we say, relationships can make you or break you. And when it comes to the idea that we all have this desire and this need for interconnectedness, for relationships, I know that it's true that relationships can make us or break us because we've all had a relational breakdown with someone in our life at some point in time that's left us feeling and saying to ourselves, I don't think I can make it. I don't think I can make it through this because of the effects of a relational breakdown. So we see in Genesis chapter 2, where this idea of the foundation of relationships first came to be, because it was God who said at his creation, it is not good that the man would be alone. So I will make him a helper that is suitable for him. And before we go to the next verse, this, is, this next line, these next two words in Adam's response reveals to us that this relationship desire, it was in us, but it did not come from us. From the very beginning of creation, there was a desire for relationship because when God decided that I'm going to cause man to not be alone because this is not good, Adam said, at last. This is the desire that is within me that has not been yet fulfilled. And God brought him that desire because this was a desire that was within us but did not originate with us. We all have the same origin. We all have the same DNA in the family of God that he created us and he made us and he gave us certain desires that are within us but did not come from us. Maybe, maybe we are actually more alike than we are different. No matter which political affiliation you associate yourself with, no matter which church uh, you have decided maybe you're in this room and you're not even sure that you're into all of this God stuff and you're certainly not into coming to church on top of that. I think that we're a lot more alike than different because there are deep desires within us that did not come from us because we are from the same origin. Maybe we're a lot more alike than we think. And so what Genesis tells us here, it is it's not good for man to be alone and God made a suitable helper for Adam and he says, at last, at last, there's something fulfilled in me that I knew was there all along that I desired. At last, God has fulfilled this desire that he put in me in the first place. He is the source of this, and we were made for relationship. We see that we were made for relationship. But we see that as humanity, our fall was deeply connected to our relationship with each other. Our fall was deeply connected to our relationship with others. We see that we have me and we have others and we have God in every area, every arrow points in every direction. Our relationship with God affects our relationship with people. Our relationship with people affects our relationship with God. And isn't it crazy that in the beginning, the very desire that God gave to Adam and he fulfilled 
by bringing Eve into the equation and said, now things are not just good, but they're very good. We have made humans in our own image. We have made them in a way that they desire one another. It's there. We're built and we're made for a relationship. But it was out of that same relationship that we experienced the most devastation that we had ever known to that time. It's the devastation of what we call the fall and the entering of sin when Eve stepped outside of the intention of God for her when she sinned. It was in the context of a relationship that she built with her adversary. She entered into a conversation with her adversary and the enemy convinced her to believe that she should partake of the fruit and step out of her relationship as if her relationship with God was not enough. She stepped outside of the relationship and she partook of the fruit that God commanded for them not to eat. And it was out of the very relationship that God gave to Adam in the first place that she said, Hey honey, have some too. Could it be that we are doing the same thing today? The thing that was meant to strengthen us, the thing that was meant to unify us, the thing that's in us but did not come from us is also the cause of our devastation and our downfall, when we choose to look at one another and we say, stand over there. Could it be that the very thing that God intended and he brought forth to meet a desire in our hearts that we would enter into relationship with him and one another and somehow it would all work together because it's all together? We were meant for this relationship. So it's no wonder. I mean, it makes perfect sense that when Jesus came and he was continually questioned, about the way of the kingdom of God, the way that would lead to eternal life, he was asked questions like this that we find in Luke chapter 10. It says, one day an expert of the religious law. In other words, an expert in the way to be right with God. That's what the law was. It was designed to show and to reveal to us the way to find life in God and to know him. He was an expert in this, and he said, can you, can you just tell us, teacher, um, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life? Why eternal life? Because they knew that this life was just messed up. This life was not right. Things were not good here. I don't want to just know how to do life and wake up every day and do it again and again and again. I don't want to just live out of the reality that Adam and Eve had it perfect and they were in perfect relationship with with one another and perfect relationship with God. And in one generation of stepping outside of that relationship, their own son would kill their other son. And now we're living, living in the results of that until this moment when Jesus came. He said, we, we know what this life is about, but can you tell us how do we inherit eternal life? And so Jesus responded with a question because he wanted to think about that. And I want that he wanted him to internalize this. And so he responded with a question. Well, what, what do you say? I mean, you know the law better than anyone here surrounded. That's why you came to test me and ask me this question. You know the law. What, what do you say that Moses says? He says, man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right. Just as I have told you, do this and you will live. You're right. Love me and love your neighbor. Do this and you will live. Could it be that relationships are actually the key to life? Do this and you will live. We look at some more words of Jesus in John 10, 10, and he says, The thief, he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. 
He came that we might have life, but he just said, I told you what to do to get life, and I came, you to, I came here to bring life. So in other words, I came to restore your relationship with me and your relationship with one another, and somehow these things all work together because one affects the other. I came here to bring you life, but not just life, because your enemy wants to steal relationship from you. Your enemy wants to drive a wedge in between you and me and you and others. He wants to steal and destroy every good thing you have going and keep you from the full life that I have intended for you all along. See, the life that he has for us has everything to do with the life of others. The full, abundant life, life to the full. The enemy comes to steal and to take us out. But he came to bring us life. And he said, the way to life is to love me and love each other. Love me and love one another. So the life he has for us has everything to do with the lives of others. It's interesting that we could, we could go all morning with scriptures about this. Jesus repeated this very thing several times. There's so many scriptures that discuss this idea of relationship. Pastor Mike talked last week about the Ten Commandments. And the first set, the first half, are all about our relationship with God. The second are all about our relationship with one another. It's foundational to our faith, and if we get it wrong, we've got it wrong. If we get this wrong, that this thing is about relationship with Him and relationship with one another. But what happens in our world, we are so good, especially now. I can't even tell you how many friends that we have had in the last year that because the issues that are out there right now are so public and they are so polarizing, I leave those friendships thinking to myself, wow, I thought we were on the same page. I feel disconnected from them. Like, man, I I thought we thought a lot more alike than we actually do. And I'm forced to question, what, what do I do with that? There are so many more things in the last year, especially that we have to disagree on we have the opportunity to disagree about so what do we do about that because I know that my life and I know that God's plan is for me to be in relationship with people but yet I feel so disconnected what scripture has told us all along is now being revealed in current secular studies So I want to read to you a quote, and this was a study done from the University of Houston. It was the graduate uh, program of social work, and it says, We actually are hardwired neurobiologically to not hurt one another. It goes against our very human nature. It goes against who we are as a social species. Isn't it interesting that even modern-day science and research and the study of human behavior and how we interact are concluding the very same thing that we knew all along because of the teaching of Christ, because of the message of Christ that came to restore relationships with one another? They're finding we're actually made for this all along. Who would have thought? There's an ongoing study, and it's the longest ongoing study um, that we know of. And it started in 1938, and it's still going today. And this is a study done by, um, the, and it's called the Harvard Study of Human Development. But it says scientific research reveals that we often become like the people who we're surrounded by. Things like physical health, personal happiness, and even financial earnings and achievements are all directly linked to those we are surrounded by. Our study has shown that people who fared best in life 
And the people are the people who lean into relationships with family, with friends, and community. So if I know that the way to life is to love God and to love others, and if I know that he came to bring me abundant life, and I know that even through modern day research that relationships are so, so, so important, then if I was your adversary, what would I do? If I was your adversary, if you were my adversary, what would you do? I would cancel relationships. I would cancel them. I would make sure that we're so divided that we no longer see the value and interest in one another. I would make sure that our areas of disagreement are so polarizing that you think you, could possi- you can't possibly have anything to gain from someone else. I would make sure that your opinion is so elevated by likes and clicks that you believe you don't need anyone else. I would make sure that I bring a relationship into your life that wounds you so deeply that you can't imagine being in relationship with anyone else like that ever again. See, every instruction of the Lord is meant to lead us back to align with our design. When he says, I want you to love God and I want you to love others, he's taking us back to the intention that he had for us all along to align us with one another. We need each other. And from the very beginning, our very existence relies on our connectedness to one another. Our very existence relies on our connectedness to one another. From the very beginning, it relied on the connectedness of at least two people for you to even be here at all. Our very existence. Now, what we don't want to confuse here is the fact that we have, we have reliance on one another with personal responsibility. Of course, we all have personal responsibility. But we also have a responsibility to bring to the community of people that we live in our personal responsibility, the thing that we are adding value to. So don't get these confused, but no doubt we are reliant on others. None of us are self-reliant. We're all personal respons- personally responsible, but none of us are self-reliant. Here's what I mean. We rely on farmers, builders, innovators, and educators to care for our needs. We rely on parents, spouses, friends, and friends to care for our hearts. We rely on pastors, teachers, counselors, and mentors to care for our souls. We're together. This is the way it was meant to be. Everyone doing their part, everyone fulfilling their role, everyone connected. Ultimately, the plan is connected to Christ. And when we get those right, that we're connected to Christ and we're connected to one another, all of a sudden we begin to become restored. We begin to step in and live in what he intended for us when he said, I came. I came that you might have life. I want you to experience life and life to the full. But when that connectedness is broken, it breaks you. And that's the problem. We find ourselves so upset at other people because it goes back to our deep need and desire to be connected to those same people. We we don't want to have differences. We want people to see the same thing that we see. We want to shake them and say, why don't you get it? But it's not simply because of the issues that we face in this world. It's not simply because we have different political ideologies. 
It's not simply because you did something that hurt me so badly. It's not the issues that we face as much. It's about people over problems. It's not the issues that we face in our world. But it's much, much less about the problems and much more about the people. It's much less about all the problems that we could point to in our world. And it's more about stepping into and aligning with his design for us all along. We were made for relationship. We were made to be connected. We were made to need one another. And there is a desire in us that did not come from us to be in relationship with each other. So we revisit James again. And now we read it with a new context, knowing this is the purpose, this is the role. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose one comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special treatment to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, go stand over there. Or go sit on the floor. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? The same idea is picked up in Ephesians. And Paul writes this. And furthermore, submit to one another. If we just stop there, it wouldn't make any sense at all. Because there are many people in this world who are not worth respecting and certainly not worth honoring. If we were judging them based on their values, their beliefs, their behaviors, of course. We look at others and we, we think to ourselves, how can they be so disconnected from God that they can align themselves with fill in the blank? How can they miss it so much? I can't believe it. I don't understand. How could, they, how could they not get it? How could they do that? How could they say that? How could they treat me this way? How could they stand for that? But he says, I, I'm not asking you to submit to one another. I'm not asking you to honor one another because they deserve it. I'm asking you to honor them out of reverence for Christ. This makes sense because if we go back to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, he starts it like this, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. If I'm saying one thing today, we're made for relationship, we need one another, we were built for connectedness, it was from the beginning, we have a desire within us that didn't come from us. If there's one conclusion to draw from this, and if there's one conclusion to draw from James, is not, don't recognize that there's a difference in a rich person and a poor person. You're going to notice. You're going to notice by the bumper sticker on their car who they voted for. You're going to notice differences among us. But he's saying, I want you to focus on something that is much, much bigger than that. If there's one thing today, it's that everyone gets a place of honor. Even me. I think if we could take it one step further and add that, we would start to see others differently 
we would start to change our mindset and begin to align ourselves with the design all along. Everyone gets honor, even me, because it starts with me. I was the one who did not deserve to be loved by Christ. Romans 5 says it like this, when we were utterly helpless, when we had no way, when there was nothing that we had to offer him, when there was nothing that we could do to make ourselves right with him by doing it all right, by having all of our opinions perfectly in line, by succeeding, by achieving, by gaining, when I had nothing to offer, when I was totally helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for me. Now, most people would not be willing to even die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die if he was especially good. But God, he showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us after we got it straight. After we lined ourselves up with the right people. After we associated ourselves with the right values and behaviors and systems and ideologies. No, it was while I was still a sinner In other words, while I was still rejecting everything that he had planned for me, while I was still rejecting the idea that he loves me in spite of me, while I was still rejecting the idea that he was the savior of the world and not me, when I was still rejecting that idea, while I was still dead in my own mess, that was when he died for me. So honor one another out of reverence for Christ because it was his sacrifice. I am the one. I am the one. This song that they're about to sing says, what's the name of the song? For the one. I am the one, though. As it's singing for the one, it's for the ones who are lowly, for the ones that we would say, go stand over there. And next week, that's what we're going to talk about. We're continuing the canceled series next week. But we couldn't go to next week before we get it right this week. That I am the one. I am the one undeserving. I am the one who is wrong. I am the one who is just as guilty of the law as the worst person I can think in my mind. I am just as undeserving as the worst person you know. I am the one. So as we prepare to receive communion this morning, I had a friend that I was talking to a couple of weeks ago about communion and there's a there's an idea and maybe you've fallen into this boat where it feels like man we do communion every week at Zenianaz doesn't it get old doesn't it get tired and we just kind of get used to this yeah we take communion we open the thing we drink it and I hate these throwaway ones the juice is nasty in these I don't know if anybody else agrees with that or not but yeah the first amen I've gotten all day But he said, yeah, it gets old if it's about you and what you're doing. And sometimes we use the language come to the table as if coming to the table is what communion is all about. It's really a lot less about us coming to the table and a lot more about us acknowledging that he came to us. He came to reach out to us. And he said, if you were to just do it every once in a while so that you keep it special, you know, so you don't get used to it. He said, what if I went to my children and I said, I really, really want my hugs and my kisses to be special for you. And so I'm, I'm only going to give you hugs and kisses on your birthday every year. When I, when I come to you, you're going to know this is, this is the real deal. This is special. It's my birthday and my dad is finally going to give me a hug. He said, no, that would be absurd. Communion has everything to do 
with remembering and realizing and acknowledging he's coming to us. He came to us and he comes to us over and over and over and over again because we are the ones. We are the ones in need. We are the ones in need of a savior. And when we see it that way, everyone has a place of honor. So as you listen to the words of this song, feel free to receive communion at any time during the song. But as we listen to the words, could we contemplate and could we just be reawakened in this moment to the idea that we were meant for relationship with him and with others. And it was because of his sacrifice coming to me while I was yet a sinner that he loved me and he died for me in that moment.